Now I want to get into the press. This is the Press Man Podcast. And I think it's one of the parts of the game now which is, is increasing, and that is pressing. We're talking about press man technique. The, again, you won't find this information anywhere in the whole world. This is the Press Man Podcast. Press, 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 press. Everybody wants to play press man. And we're going to try to put everything together in this particular phase of teaching our press man-to-man coverage. What is a full-court press? So we're going to try and have a look at the boys and their pressing and how they do it. This is the Press Man Podcast. And you watch the games on Saturday and Sunday and they talk about the press, press, press. Welcome to episode three of the Press Man Podcast. Today's guest, he is a columnist and sports journalist extraordinaire at the Omaha World Herald. He's also the author of 24th and Glory, which we will be sure to talk about today. Please welcome Dirk Chatlin. Dirk, thanks for coming. Do you want me to do applause for myself or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, we'll put in we'll put some applause in there. The extraordinaire tag, that that might be a a, a little bit extreme, uh, but I appreciate the introduction. Well, I don't think so. I think you're you're pretty recognizable in in Omaha at this point for your your reporting with the World Herald and and the good work you've done. Um, 17 years now. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm not quite at the Tom Chattel stage yet, but I, uh, I feel like I'm about halfway there. So, <laughs> well, well, we'll get into all that. Um, what we like to do on press man is really the biographical conversations. And I like to start with just the simple question of where did you grow up? What was childhood like for Dirk Chatlin? So I grew up in the same place that, uh, that my parents are still living right now. Uh, it's a, it's a little farm a mile North of highway 92, uh, near rising city, Nebraska. And it's, uh, I often make the joke that it's neither rising nor a city. Uh, but, (laughs) but it is sort of ironically named population 392 when I was there. Um, I, I was kind of a city kid in the country. Okay. I, I uh, I wouldn't say that I embraced farm life the way that that many did. I didn't hunt. I didn't fish. I did spend a lot of time outside, but but it wasn't. It was more, uh, you know, playing football in the yard with my brother and chasing golf balls in the cornfields and stuff like that. So, uh, but I grew up in a really small town, uh, really small school, and everybody was just kind of there. I mean, it was, you, you pretty much knew everybody in town and, and kind of created this cocoon uh, that was, you know, a pretty, pretty good way to grow up. I mean, you just, you took your bike and you, you rode off and uh, you checked in every three or four hours and, <laughs> you know, then, then you were back uh, at supper time or whatever. So uh, my brother was probably my biggest influence. He was four years older than me and I, I kind of shadowed him and his friends. Uh, developed a very, very deep love for sports at a super, super young age. Um, my, I still remember, you know, you remember these weird images from childhood. I remember the, the Bears Patriots Super Bowl. I was four. Uh, I, I oh, went, that's early. Yeah, I, I remember um, I, my first Nebraska football game that I remember, I think, was 87. Um, so which, and I was six, so, you know, pretty young memories. I was, I was deeply influenced by Nebraska basketball at a young age. Okay. Um, really got into that program 
in like 91 when they went on their first NCAA tournament run uh, with, with Danny Nee. Um, we went to a lot of games, went to a lot of the, the big classic games. It was easy to get a ticket back then. Well, not so much uh, once Danny got it going, but, but my dad had. Uh, I guess I'm thinking like 95, I think. Was my first Nebraska basketball. Okay, game. so you missed out on the good stuff. Yeah. No, uh, ninety one through ninety four was was just fantastic, and um, and just a lot of fun, and and really, I think kind of had a lasting impact on me. Um, went to a lot of Nebraska football games. My my dad worked at a bank and had tickets through the bank, and so my brother and I kind of grew up in in Memorial Stadium row row two North Stadium, so okay. pretty good seats. Um, and you know, just, just was kind of a sports junkie. Played a lot of Nintendo. Uh, Who didn't? you know, all the, all the, all the Tecmo stuff. I mean, it's just, uh, just very, very, very influenced by sports. And, and I think my, I, I did compete, uh, but I was never, I never had aspirations to, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, my son, he was still kind of living in dreamland. He was like nine years old and, and he was like, you know, if if I don't, if I'm not in the NBA, I think I'll be in the NFL. And I don't ever remember thinking that. Like it mm. was, uh, I, I think I was, I was a decent athlete, but I, my aspirations were always to, you know, to be a broadcaster or a coach or sort of around the game. All right. Um, I wanted to be a math teacher. I was really good at math. A um, couple grades ahead in math, and then just kind of reached a point where I fell in love with with storytelling, with writing, um, senior year of high school. I w- actually went to Columbus high school, which is 20 miles North of where I grew up. And, um, and senior year of high school got turned on to, to the school newspaper. And I remember, I just loved the, I mean, this is not a surprise for people who know me, but, but I loved the platform. I love the fact that, uh, I have something to say and I'm going to say it, you know, uh, I wrote a column in senior year, uh, my, my only year of school newspaper in which I was arguing for open lunch or open campus during lunch. I think every senior journalism yes. student writes that yes. column. And, uh, and, and the headline I put on it was Columbus high school or penitentiary. <laughs> um, and so I just, I, I kind of fell in love with it. I mean, and it, it all kind of makes sense in hindsight. I mean, I, I really had a deep love for sports and, and have always been drawn to 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 narrative to story um so the the math kind of expired and uh writing kind of took over my life and and really hasn't changed that much in 20 years i mean i I started covering sports at the daily nebraskan in lincoln when i was um you know a freshman i was it was the fall of 2000 and spring of 2001 and uh that's basically more than half my life I've been doing this. So um, really, really like doing it in a place where I know the people who are reading my stuff. I mean, one reason that I've never left is because I just always liked the idea that the people that I, the teachers that I grew up with, the, you know, the, the people at the university at Columbus at whatever, just wherever you meet people in life, uh, that they're they're reading. I mean, it's kind of neat, right? So it kind of binds everything. I am a total comfort zone guy. I, to my detriment, uh, it really is one of my weak. <laughs> it's one of my weaknesses. It really is. Um, 
but a lot of that goes back to the way I grew up. I mean, my, sure. I, my parents are still in the same house that I was born in. So, um, you know, it's just, I think it's kind of a Nebraska thing in some ways that you, you don't go very far. You don't go very far. Um, and you know, that doesn't mean that I haven't, um, educated myself beyond our boundaries, but, but I haven't, you know, I haven't really felt the urge to, to get away mm. like some people do. So that's a long winded answer. And, and a great you, answer. You, you can pick at lots of that, but, um, but that's kind of my, my short story. Well, from, from my perspective, I think I've always felt, um, somewhat of a kinship there with you because I also, for the first half of my childhood until I was about 13, grew up in a very small town. Mm. Riverton, Nebraska, oh, population wow. 92. I was going to say, that's smaller than Rising City. That's Yes. Um, <laughs> and unlike Rising City, it is on a river and it is a town. <laughs> so so there you go. There's your rebuttal to that. But I just I wanted to get a, a, an idea because I know how it works in my own mind, how you think, like where you grew up and the way you grow up, shapes how you look at sports and specifically Nebraska sports in your case and I can tell you how it works for me where I grew up Nebraska can do no wrong like they are the show Tom Osborne is the fourth member of the Holy Trinity right so and then you come to a place like Omaha we moved to the Omaha area when I was about 13 and you have a whole bunch of different opinions. Huh. Not everybody likes Nebraska now. Some people actually don't like yeah. actively hate the, the the team in Lincoln. So it was just there's there's a, a divide there in my life where I was like, Nebraska is everything, and then well maybe it's not everything. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up that period because I, I don't I probably didn't recognize it at the time, but when you think about what is the age at which you're most captivated by sports when you have the least amount of distractions in your life? Um, you know, when you can really just consume yourself, I would argue it's like 12 to 15 years old. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right in there. Um, when I was 12 to 15 years old was the years 1993 to 1997. That's, that's right about you know, where I am. Too. Like that, you can't overstate the influence of Nebraska football on my life, uh, and specifically the that glory years run, um, and probably shaped me in ways that I didn't fully recognize. And in some ways, it's become very ironic that right when I started covering the team, they fell off a cliff, right? Um, and I don't take any credit for that. Maybe I should, <laughs> but yeah, we'll get um, there. But but it's. Um, I do think it's been hard to sort of imagine life without Nebraska sports and Nebraska football specifically. Um, you mentioned something interesting about Omaha to me, which is I don't think people here or out yonder, uh, I think one of the, one of the more underrated cultural pieces of this state is just the, the the divide between Omaha and everywhere else. You see it in the state legislature. You see it in recruiting of high school athletes. Like, it's just everything. And, um, you know, I probably haven't experienced that in the same way that 
that some have. I mean, I live in in suburban Omaha out west, and um, you know, I'm not I'm not hanging out at 14th and Dodge every day, but. Uh, but it is different. It is different than Rising City, and, and I think it, it has had an impact, especially as Nebraska has struggled. Um, it's just not as big a deal in this city as certainly as it was, you know, where I grew up 25 years ago. What do you think it did in your idea of what the media is where you grew up? Well, okay, so... I don't think I was paying attention to it a lot. I mean, there was certainly a home a Homer feel generally to it, but I didn't notice that. Like I didn't I didn't detect that until I probably became a member of the media. Um I mean I read Tom Chattel every day. I mean I read Stu Pospisil every day. I mean my dad came home from the bank and he had the newspaper in his hand and he, he threw it on the living room floor and you know, I and young Dirk tore it apart. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, but I don't think I really, you know, identified that part of it. Um, as I got into it, you know, I probably carved out a niche being a little bit more, uh, skeptical of Nebraska than, than most were. And part of that was just kind of a, wasn't so much how I felt about Nebraska. It was just kind of a general rebellious nature that I have, um, and a, I wouldn't say contrarian, but but a little bit of a zag when everybody else zigs. And there's lots of examples of that. I mean, way before Bo Pelini, I was making coaches mad. Um, <laughs> I went to I, – I tell this story occasionally, but in 2002, Kansas State beat Nebraska in Manhattan bad, 49-13. to 13. I and, remember uh, it well. And, and uh, uh, oh, the quarterback uh, – Shoot. It was Bishop, wasn't it? No, it wasn't Bishop. It was uh it was it wasn't Beasley. It was anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh the I do remember the backup quarterback was Mark Dunn. Mark Dunn was a senior captain and it was his final home game and K State was up by thirty five points and Bill Snyder kept his starters in the game all the way through. Something that made Bo Pelini very angry the next year when Bo was defensive coordinator. And I just thought it was a classless move. And it was a, you know, it wasn't so much defending Nebraska. I just thought it was a crappy way to do something. So post-game press conference, I'm 21 years old, and I go over to the K-State to the K-State press conference, and I'm the only Nebraska media member in the room. There's probably, I mean, it's like a mini pep rally. You think it's, you think the Nebraska media is full of homers? Go cover <laughs> a an 11-win K-State team. Um and so I go in there, and, and Snyder is, is, you know, taking his victory lap. And, and at some point, uh, I, I, said, I said, you know, you were up by 35 points. Uh, coach, did you ever, you know, something to the effect of, why didn't you play your, backup, your backups? And he just glared at me. And, you know, it, it glared at me in a way that I think – Everybody in the room was like, oh, oh, you know, Bill Snyder's mad. And, but it was kind of like, a, again, the rebellious nature kicks in, and every journalist has to have a little bit of this. And so, I, and like, three questions passed, and then I came back to it, and I, I, said, I asked a follow-up. I said, you know, Coach, don't you feel like your, your backup quarterback deserved to play on senior day? Uh, and just, you know, everybody in the room, I mean, Snyder didn't answer it. He just, like, glared at me, and 
uh, you know, it's like the biggest win of the season for K-State, and there's this 21-year-old <laughs> punk student from Nebraska asking about running up the score. Uh, but it was it was reflective of how I felt about media, how I felt about coaches, how I felt about, you know, just trying to – I mean, I, the, the, the phrase people use is, you know, you're always stirring the pot. Mm. Well, yes, but – I don't do it inauthentically, okay? Like, that's the thing that I wish people understood maybe a little bit more is this, this, the crap that I've done over the years, none of that has been to get clicks or to, you know, stir up trouble or like that. What I write, what I ask, what I say is is how I feel. Like, and it's not always negative. I mean, I there's been a lot of times where I've been more positive than the, than the general media. Um, but I, I just, it's always felt like too much trouble to do something without sincerity, right? Without authenticity. And so, uh, that's hard to do on radio, especially sometimes cause you're just talking so much, right? Like you're on the air, you say so many words where in writing, you know, you can kind of, you can you choose. You can choose your words more precisely, right? Um, so I think in radio it's actually harder. I probably am more of a BSer on radio than I ever was as a writer because well, I think that's just the general. Yeah, state of things. yeah, and and to that degree, I don't like it as much. Um, but well, thanks for being here. Well, but <laughs> but I, I just I always wanted to tell the truth how I saw it. Sure, and I've always been very opinionated. Um, much more than anyone else in my family for whatever reason. Um, and it's, you know, for the most part, it's it's served me pretty well. But you have sort of, you've taken a lot of flack from fans, as you mentioned, for stirring the pot, being too negative, not, you know, promoting Nebraska. Because I think a lot of fans in the state think that the largest media outlet in the state should be a cheerleader for the institution that they love and like once you've you know taken an entry-level journalism class you know that that's that's not how it should be and I think anyone who's thought about it a little bit knows that that's not how it should be you know thought about it outside the scope of their fanhood you realize that there has to be some objectivity there but did that ever affect you I wonder you know when when you're taking that heat from a group that you're essentially a member of the the Nebraska, you know, right. football, but Nebraska athletics fan base. Well, what's frustrating about it is when you realize that some of the criticism from the from fellow media members, I always felt like they did lack sincerity often, and that, you know that they were they had identified this as a as a good way to cash a check and make a nice living, and you know. I felt like they were the ones that had sort of sold out as opposed to me. Um, now, as I've gotten older, I, I think I've come to realize that that's just the way they are. And it's, you know, it's okay. Um, you develop very thick skin. You don't, you don't really care that much. You learn not to care about people's opinion that you don't know, especially, uh, the ones that irk me are when, you know, you get somebody cracking on Facebook, somebody that you grew up with 
or somebody that you know you knew from 20 years ago and it's like wait a second you know you know you know me you know me you know where i come from you would shake my hand if we saw each other you know so you get some of that um but but no i it's not easy i mean there were message boards that were making threats against you know me at times and uh, you just kind of, you really learn to just ignore what doesn't matter. I mean, I think it does kind of make you better. Um, makes you, certainly makes you recognize who to listen to and who not to listen to. Um, but I, I, I gave this advice to, to a local media member here last year who was being pretty critical of, of Scott Frost. I said, you know, somebody who I think very highly of, but I said, you know, make sure that when you are making criticisms that it is based in fact, because if people think that it's personal, it will get ugly for you. Like you have to, you have to choose your words wisely and you have to base your critique in, you know, for me, it was statistics. Like I got very good at saying what I wanted to say through the numbers, uh, showing it, showing my work, argue with numbers. showing my work. Uh, because if you're just, you know, trying to out argue somebody, um, it doesn't work very well, you know, when people's emotions are, are in play. So I, I got a lot of mileage over the years by, you know, Nebraska has the worst turnover margin of any major conference program in the last 20 years, you know, like that doesn't, that's pretty indisputable, right? It's, it's easier. It's a lot harder to, to confront that than if I just write, you know, Nebraska's sloppy and they don't get it done. And you know, this coaching staff doesn't know what they're doing. Like you have to show your work. Um, and I, I think at some point I learned that that was especially critical in criticism. So this was one thing I wanted to get to is, is you do bring up some really interesting and thought-provoking statistics and now that i've learned a little bit about your background and how much you loved math is that just sort of the natural marriage of the two passions yeah no it's an interesting point um i've always loved data journalism i wish i was better with technology because i feel like i could do some things um you know visually that i frankly can't um i have I think the ideas in my head are sometimes better than they translate to the page. And that's partly because I, I'm not as good technologically as I need to be. Um, but, but I've always loved data. I've always loved, you know, I've always loved a good research project, finding something that, that others haven't seen. Uh, I think that's a huge part of journalism is, is just separating yourself from the crowd and writing things that others are not writing. I mean, if, if I'm writing the same thing that somebody else is writing, why, why would they come to my outlet? Why would they listen to me? So, um, yeah, it's the math thing is, is a big foundation for, for what I do. And I want to talk now about just the, the state of media currently. I mean, it seems like there's the watershed moment has sort of passed now. And we're heading in a new direction with media. Um, the large media conglomerates seem to be breaking up, sizing down, and it's going to much more of a smaller, almost a hyper-local model. It, 
We've seen it happen here in this state with several sort of independent journalism outlets coming around. Uh, I know it's been a big effect at the World Herald in, in all departments. Um, just the state of media currently and how it's changed over your career. Well, I'll just I'll give you a, a sort of a funny answer, uh, and that is when I first got in, I, I joined the World Herald in January 2005. We had a a we had a, a noon edition, so we had a uh, we had an afternoon paper and then we had a morning paper, and you know we had a website, but it wasn't like a high priority, right? Uh, so like if news would happen at after the morning deadline, let's say news broke at one o'clock in the afternoon, there really wasn't that much urgency to do something about it. Like you knew you'd have to write about it and it, you know, it was important to get it to the website, but it wasn't like if I don't, everybody's going to know it, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and I never really liked that world anyway. I had, I had very little interest in breaking news. I, I know it's important, but it was never my thing. Um, but yes, the, the whole thing, the whole model has changed. It was, it was one big elephant in the room and now it's lots of, you know, zebras and tigers and lions and everything else. Um, and I think the elephant is still, is still there. I mean, I think the world Herald is still the elephant, but, uh, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not the same it doesn't cast the same shadow on everybody else that it did. Um, and I think, I think I th- it still does in the sports realm though. It still does in the sports realm. There's no doubt. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's changed too though. I mean, there's, there's way more little upstart websites and I don't mean that condescendingly. It's just, um, it's, it's different. Um, and it's, I mean, when I was covering Nebraska football in 2001, when they were really good, by the way, uh, you know, there might be 10 reporters at practice, 15 reporters. And now there's and five were 60. from the World Herald and five were from the Lincoln. Yeah. And now there's, now there's 60. So, um, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that has not been great for, because I think as a, in, instead of everybody competing really hard and trying to get things, trying to cover the program in a way that is new and fresh. I think generally what's happened is everybody just holds their tape recorder out and transcribes the same thing and tries not to get crossways with the program or the university. And you sort of, you know, everybody's, everybody's surviving and thriving in some cases. And so you just, you know, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Right. Um, so I think in some ways it's it's been detrimental to to the media. I think in news it's it's probably been better, right? I think it's actually strengthened coverage. I think unfortunately it's harder to have like the big impact stories if you don't work for the elephant in the room. Um certainly. Resources. I, wor- I worry about that not only from a resource standpoint but also just from a platform like Okay, let's say I go off and start DirkChatlin.com, okay, which would not be a very good name for a website. I'm, but I'm parking it right now, but, uh, so you're going to have to buy that domain from me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, let's say I wrote just an unbelievable feature story about some kid at Millard South who 
doesn't have any arms and you know wins the state swimming championship you know just making something up <laughs> like it could be the best story in the world how many people are going to read that right where well, if it's on the world herald yeah. if it's on, if it's at omaha.com on a sunday you know i think there's still appeal to working at a big shop from from that standpoint um three years ago the world herald basically gave me a year to write a series of stories that became a book that that wasn't happening at a different outlet right and and probably wouldn't happen at the world herald now by the yeah, way you're not going to support yourself doing it independently right unless so, you've got some benefactor so so you know there are advantages to the elephant um but but it's changing and and i think it has its strengths and weaknesses uh i think as the media has gotten more uh voluminous or you know bigger i i think access has gotten more difficult um i think there's a whole lot more bullshit you know just like not really yeah just okay you had a 45 minute press conference and we're gonna transcribe every word but you didn't really say anything and it's just you, you it's less interesting when there's 60 reporters around than when there's 10 i mean it's just it sounds you know it sounds counterintuitive but it's it's sort of true um so so it'd be fun to go like cover i've always thought you know it'd be fun to go cover like nebraska volleyball for a year or go cover youth sports for a year and just be like this is going to be my thing nobody else is going to tread in here and i'm just gonna you know i'm just gonna drop truth bombs all the time uh and and you know there's UNK football. Yes, yes. But the problem is you got to get people to care about it the same way. And um, I don't know. I, I'll i be honest. I don't have nearly the passion for for just daily – the daily conversation over Nebraska football or Nebraska basketball or whatever, I mean, compared to what I used to. It's just not – it doesn't excite me the way that it did. The The, the, the best stories – still excite me uh but but you know what is nebraska's record going to be next year i i've had enough of that well i think you hit on something there it's just it's the saturation yes there are and by the way it's saturation ironically as the program has gotten worse no doubt as opposed to better right like it yeah it would be one thing if if the saturation if if all the uh you know if the increase had come because Nebraska went from three and nine to thirteen and zero, but it's the opposite, and so it's like, what are we doing here? You know, uh, I have a ton of respect. I mean, genuine respect for people like Sam McEwen and Gary Sharp, and you know, you can name a whole list of people that just they they just absolutely devote themselves to knowing what the heck is going on and to telling the story in the best possible way they can. Uh, when frankly, the results haven't warranted that for quite a while. Not at all. But I think the the saturation, (laughs) there's a couple things that it brings to mind for me when you start talking about that. As you said, everyone's now trying to write the same story and it's not five or 10 people trying to write the same story. It's, it's 45 people trying to write the same story and everybody's looking for their own little spin on it. But are they? I well, they have to be at some point, right? I don't know. 
you, I, I think so. you think it's just all the same. I think eighty-five percent of it is the exact same. I think there are there are stars. You know, Sam Sam is one of the he's one of the ten best. Well, he's one of the ten best sports journalists at a newspaper in the country. I think. Wow. Um, just when you look at, um, you know, quantity plus quality, right? Um, so there are still stars that give you things that you can't get in 85% of the coverage, but, but 85% of the coverage is basically the same. Um, and, and that is kind of frustrating because it's like, I really don't know. I don't think quality is that much of a priority. I mm. think it's just, you know, people love Nebraska football. I'm going to give them Nebraska football. And they will consume it. And they will consume it, and we will do this little dance together, mm. you know. And I think I wish that part would change. Mm. The other the other thing I was going to mention was it's it sort of breeds a new – and this has been going on for a while. It's not new the rush to be first, right? If you can't be different, you have to be first. Yeah, and but that has led itself to some problems as well. <laughs> How often do people break news in the Nebraska football market? I mean, every day on Twitter. Every day there's there's some new breaking news that but, but, you but, see but, it. But there's a difference between Casey Rogers announcing that he's entering the transfer portal and... I guess maybe I should say everything is treated like breaking news. Yes, that's different. I I don't know how much of a aggressive hunt there is for breaking news. Um, you know, nobody reported last year that Adrian Martinez had a broken jaw until Scott Frost said he had a broken jaw, right? Um, but yes, everything is treated like it's a it's a big deal, like it's breaking news. And you know, again, it's that part I kind of roll my eyes at. Uh, because it's like, is Nebraska's, you know, kickoff starting time against Iowa next Black Friday, does that really need to lead the sports cast of every, you know, all 17 outlets covering the program tomorrow? But it's supply and demand, you know? <laughs> it really is. Like, and at some point, and at the World Herald, I think we do a really good job to this day of valuing things that don't necessarily pay the bills. Um, mm. You know, not everything, but we cover stuff that we know is not necessarily what people are craving, but we think it's valuable. I mean, mm -hmm. Margie Ducey had a story last weekend about, about the, the, the resurrection of the Benson baseball program. Like, which was great. Nobody was clamoring for a feature story about Benson baseball, right? Like, but, but she identified that as, as a great story. And people, I think still come to the world Herald for that reason. They know they're my standard. One of my standards for, for the world Herald and outlets everywhere is just surprise me. You have to surprise me. Uh, when I pick you up or tune, tune in every day, I want something. I don't want to know exactly what's coming. And I think, you know, our our paper still does that to a pretty to a pretty good standard um you know but it's it's hard i mean it's resources are down and the the public relations around the biggest teams is 
is stronger than it's ever been and the social media influence is really big and players and athletes and coaches can basically break their own news whenever they want. I mean, it's, it's definitely changed and not necessarily to the advantage of the journalist. Sure. You brought it up a little earlier and I don't know if you've ever talked in depth about it. Probably you have at, at one point or another, but the famous incident with Bo Pelini. <laughs> We're you, talking about stuff eight years ago yeah. now. I don't know if anybody cares anymore. Of course but people I, care. <laughs> um, I've never heard you talk about it, and I'm I'm curious. Um, it was which, the, with the just the the audio tape thing. No, no the oh. the the press conference when he basically told you to to get out that oh, he was the, done with you. Yeah, that. Well, people don't understand about Bo, and and I. I don't love Bo Pelini. Um, not necessarily because of how he treated me. I just didn't. I just didn't. I didn't love his worldview sometimes. Um, Fair. I didn't, you know, just the the willingness to, to get in someone. He never got in my face. He never called me and berated me or cursed me out. But I know he did that to other people. And, and I, I don't have much tolerance for bullies. Um, so, you know, we're, we were never going to, like, hang out. <laughs> but But we got along really well 90 to 95% of the time. That's the part that people didn't understand. Like there's 60 reporters in a press conference. And when, when Bo finished his weekly press conference, I could follow him out in the hall and I'd say, Bo, I'm working on a, you know, something about turnover margin or special teams or whatever. And, you know, I want to ask you a couple of questions that, you know, that don't really fit into the, to the news conference rhythm. Yeah. Uh, and he, you know, he'd gladly give me five or 10 minutes. I mean, when I asked a question, he usually answered it better because I don't know if he just appreciated the question sometimes or if he, I don't know. Maybe I, he had a little bit more of a personal relationship. He respected me. I, I respected him to, you know, to a large degree. And, and I, in 2010, when, when Texas A&M, absolutely they got, Nebraska got screwed down there. The, a&M, you know, the, the penalty yep. difference was like 16 to two and, and Bo almost punched a fan who ran into him after the game. I mean, it was, it was ugly. And he walks off the field and down a locker room hallway. And I walked down the hallway and I met him and we talked privately for five minutes on the way to the press conference. Like we had a decent relationship, but we had, when there was a a blow up. I mean, it was, it was a public blow up and often it was because I was asking a question that I felt was really important to ask after a game, especially, uh, when he was hot. And, you know, I always felt like my job in those situations was to, to ask the question that the reader would ask if he was in the room or she was in the room. And that's, you know, that's not necessarily, the the thing that coaches want to hear uh <laughs> you know after the 2012 uh big 10 championship game when nebraska lost 70 to 31 and and i said something like what's this say about the state of the program and you know he looked at me as if i had you know what do you mean what does it say about the state of the program we, we lost a game it's like no like this <laughs> is kind of a bigger deal yeah. right um and there were just some of those moments like i 
criticized Taylor Martinez, I think the, the instance that you're talking about, in a Friday column. A Friday column. And then the next night, Nebraska comes back and beats Ohio State because Braxton Miller gets hurt, and and Bo felt emboldened to, you know, to call me out. And the irony of that situation is, I went to that post game press conference and asked about Taylor's good play because I was taught that when you write something critical, you show up the next day and you stand in front of the person that you wrote about, and you know. And in that case, acknowledge that Taylor had played well. And so the, I was basically leading Bo to water, you know, comment on Taylor's play and, and in the process put me in my place. And he, you know, he wanted to take it a different direction, which is fine. That's his right. Um, I never had an issue with that crap except for the fact that it was on a public stage. Like, and again, you go back to how the media has changed. 15 years earlier, 10 years earlier, five years earlier, that post-game press conference would not have been yeah, televised nobody, nobody would have or streamed it. to the world. Nobody would have cared. Like, oh, Bo got in a, you know. Had a spat with a reporter. Had a spat with a reporter. after. No, who cares? Like, nobody ca- We were not taught to care about the presentation of our question after a game. Like, I remember – there was, you know, lots of little turning points over the years. And I remember I, there was a press conference one time after a game and, uh, you know, I, I would always ask pretty concise questions. I was trying to, you know, you're usually on deadline, but, but at some point the, the, the commentary, even from local media sometimes was, well, he shouldn't have asked the question like that or he should have worded it differently or the tone of that question. And it's like, it felt like you were almost like, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, this is, this is a dumb way to say it, but it's like that guy's making $3 million a year. I'm making whatever, 50 grand. Like if we're going to scrutinize somebody's performance in this press conference, let's keep our eye, our eye on the ball here. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm I'm here to ask questions of him. Like at some point the media became part of the story mm. and that was never that was never my wish. Like that, th- that doesn't mean that I wasn't going to like stand up for myself if if something happened, but it was never my wish to be part of it. I mm. never I never ever did something or asked a question out of performance or because I was trying to, you know, a make, lot of, and make a public display. The coach's answers a lot of times are performative. Of course. Um, of course. But you got to remember what the media's job is in those situations. The media's job is to ask the question that you want asked, right? Yeah. And, and, think- and like, if you take that job seriously, then sometimes you are going to ask things that make the coach and the fan base mad at you. I think the only the only thing you can say is, is it a fair question or is it not a fair question? Right. right? I never went into a press conference like the guy who went into the Bill Callahan thing in 2005 and said, if you were your athletic director, would you fire you? Like, it's, I never did that crap. Question. Like, I did stuff that would go into my column, right? Sure. I wanted to 
I wanted to cover the program in a new, in a in a fresh, fair, interesting way. And when you really care about something as a fan, and you love a coach, and you love the players, and all these things, you you are going to be defensive when someone is writing things that are critical or skeptical of the things that you love. It's the same thing as, you know, it's like when someone's critical of your sibling, right? It's like, I can be critical of my sibling, but you can't, right? And that's kind of how it was with the fans sometimes. The irony is I knew them, like I was them. Right. And and was them at a time. And still are them to a degree. Yeah, it, it it takes the fan out of you when you become I, I totally agree. a journalist. Uh, and I can't. I have a hard time clapping at sporting events, no matter who's playing. Uh, and, I, you know, you just don't cheer the way you did. You don't feel it the way you did. You, you're drawn to story rather than who wins. Um, you root for story. But, but I knew Nebraska football fans, and I still know Nebraska football fans, Certainly during the glory years, um, I think as well as as well as about anybody in the market, um, you know, even someone like Chattel, who I just, you know, I think the world of, but he didn't grow up here. He got here in 1991. He was working as a journalist during the glory years. I think it is still hard for him to relate to some degree to Nebraska fans like I can relate to Nebraska fans because I just, it was who I was as a 14 year old kid. Like I, and those memories are so vivid. Like I can tell you where I was watching these games in 1993 and you know, and you're the same way. It's just, um, so it's, it's sort of ironic that I became kind of the thorn in the side (laughs) because one, that was never really my intention. And two, um, you know, I felt like I knew the fan as well as anybody did. Well, that's – it's just interesting to hear. I, I've <laughs> never really heard you talk about sort of the behind the scenes and, and the Bo relationship, so that's that's good stuff. Yeah, and, and you know, Bo and I, I mean, we haven't spoken in for obvious reasons. I mean, he hasn't been here, but uh, I wasn't – real impressed with how he went out i mean i thought that was hmm. i thought that was pretty good bu- i thought that was pretty bush league i think had the circumstances been a little different you know my relationship with him i'm not saying we would have stayed in touch but but i just you'd feel differently yeah i just felt like that was yeah that was pretty pretty unfortunate uh <laughs> it's a nice way to put it <laughs> and i mean i i have broken very few stories in my 17 years but i did break the audio tape story um and and it was largely because someone in the room trusted me uh with because i'd been you know mm. a pretty objective skeptic of the program um and and that's you know i'll never forget that whole deal i mean that was like I, somebody just sent it to me and it was like, you know, wait a second. Is this real? Did, <laughs> did he really just compare Sean Eichhorst to a McDonald's fry cook? Like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, so that, you know, the, the way that it ended didn't, didn't necessarily make it better. 
All right, let's talk about something good in your career. Something <laughs> great. 24th and glory. You, you spoke about it just a little bit earlier that you, you got a year to do this series of stories. Uh, for those who maybe haven't picked it up, haven't read it, didn't see it when it came out, what is sort of the gist of 24th and Glory? Okay, so in 2006, I'm 25 years old. I'm a Nebraska native. I'm a second-year reporter at the World Herald, and I'm writing a story about Marlon Briscoe, and I discover that on the same day in 1968, at the height of the Civil Rights Movement, um, on the same day, Gibson, Bob Gibson, Omaha native, wins his seventh consecutive World Series game, which is still a Major League Baseball record. Uh, Gale Sayers rushes for 100 yards, including a 60-yard touchdown run that he considers the greatest run of his career. And Marlon Briscoe becomes the first black man in America to start a professional football game at quarterback. Three black men from Omaha, Nebraska, doing this pretty extraordinary things in, on their own turf in a span of about three hours at the height of the civil rights movement. And I was just like fascinated. I mean, I was, I, I always knew these guys, you know, sort of individually from a sports context. I didn't really think about, wait a second, how did they do that from here? How did they, how did North Omaha produce so many great athletes at the same time? Um, and that was kind of my quest was, was to figure out how, like, was there a rhyme or reason to this? And ended up working on it and reporting it off and on, off and on for a very, very long time, um, basically 12, 13 years. And I kind of got smarter and wiser as a reporter and understood the world a little bit better and probably wrote the story better as a 38-year-old, 37-year-old than I would have at 25, um, but, but ended up kind of writing the history of North Omaha. Uh, that's kind of what 24th and glory is. It's, it's kind of the history of North Omaha through a sports lens, um, and became just an incredibly rewarding journey that, uh, always kind of ate at me because I knew that it was the best untold local sports story that I, that I knew of, uh, and was fortunate to kind of just stick around long enough to, to finally get the courage to, to write it. So it's been uh it's been the, the the thrill of my career um sharing it with Omaha and seeing it go into schools and you know Kiwanis clubs and rotary <laughs> luncheons and you know I just I, I give book talks every probably once or twice a month on 24th and Glory and always find people that are are newly fascinated by it so uh I was telling my a friend last night well, I'll just give you an example. This is this is a, this is the rewarding nature of it. Uh, I'm at a funeral visitation last night for a, a friend, and a friend's sister had passed away. The woman who passed away, her son, comes up to me. I've never met this guy before. Comes up to me, says, "Hey, I just want you to know that I read Twenty Fourth and Glory." He's 30 years old. He's going through immense grief and sorrow. He lost his mom. And he comes up to me out of the blue and just says, hey, I just want you to know you know, that I love the story. I didn't know any of that. And we talked about it for like 10 minutes at a funeral visitation. And that stuff happens like once every month probably where it's just like, wow, this is so cool that that I got to be kind of the the narrator for this incredible Omaha story that had kind of been lost in history. 
Um, so it's been incredibly rewarding. It's newspaper stories are generally uh, one day and they're gone, and may, you know maybe yeah. maybe people are talking about them for a week, but but this is almost two and a half years down the road now, and and I still have conversations like that all the time. It's just been it's been a lot of fun. And North Omaha and and the people in the book have really got behind it. They have endorsed it and celebrated it and passed it along, and that means a lot to me too. So. Um, I'm hoping I can find an experience, a journalism experience equal to that someday, but it's going to be tough. So what, what do you think has been more surprising to you? Was, is it the response that people have had to the book or the things that you learned while writing it? What, what was the bigger surprise? Well, in some ways it was just hiding in plain sight, right? It's like, everybody knew that Bob Gibson and Gail Sayers and Marlon Briscoe and Bob Boozer and Johnny Rogers were great. Uh, I think, you know, it just, it was a matter of sort of looking at the story differently. It was trying to, to see it through a different context, which is why did this happen? How did this happen? Uh, what is the great migration and the Omaha, the South Omaha packing houses have to do with, you know, Bob Gibson, um, and how segregation, the role that segregation played in that story. And, how Omaha was was segregated, you know, much more similarly to a southern city like Memphis or Birmingham, you know, than people here would have acknowledged or liked to realize. Uh, I heard from so many readers in their 60s and 70s who who reached out and said, I'm an Omaha native. I didn't know that. I didn't know that, you know, a kid growing up in North Omaha was was basically redlined into a small neighborhood. Um, how did I not know that? You know, so there was, there was a little bit of a reckoning that came with it. Um, so I think the response was pretty extraordinary. Um, I mean, even Gibson and Ernie Chambers got behind the story in a way that I never would have expected. Um, and what I learned, what I learned was fascinating, but I had, been studying it for so long (laughs) that I, it was, it just became part of me. Like I just, I knew the story. It's a really, it's a huge thrill. And I hope this comes across with some degree of some small degree of humility, but it's a huge thrill when you reach a point where you know the story better than the characters in it. Oh yeah. Because what happens is they only know what happened from their perspective right like imagine being in a being in pinnacle bank arena for a last second shot or memorial stadium for the for the ron kellogg to jordan westercamp hail mary and westercamp knows that moment through his eyes right through his life kellogg knows it through his life polini knows it through his life but if as a journalist if you go around and you talk to 50 people in that stadium afterwards from the opposing sideline to row 57 to row 93 to the press, you know, whatever. And you, you, you basically canvas everybody that, that was there that you can think of. Suddenly even the characters don't know the story as well as you know it. And that was a huge thrill. Like I just, I got to the point where I would call somebody and I'd start an interview and, (laughs) You know, they'd say something, and I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> heard I, that. I knew that." Uh, and and that's not. I don't say that with, uh, you know, with arrogance. It's just. Uh, it's just 
that's kind of like what journalism is supposed to be. So um, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. All right. 24th and glory. If you haven't read it yet, please go pick it up. It's fabulous. You're going to love it. I mean, you're going to love it. There's, it. It's Omaha history. If you live in this city, if you know anything about this city, it's it's going to be for you. You know okay. the cool part about it? One, okay. one cool part about it is Creighton Prep made it their all-school read one summer. Like everybody at the school read it uh, or supposedly read it, was assigned to read it. Uh, Gretna has incorporated it into their civil rights history curriculum. Papillion La Vista has... Um, it's in several OPS classrooms, like they study it in high school. So it's it's really cool to like know that, you know, what happened in the '60s in North Omaha is, you know, kids born in the 21st century are gonna hear that story. Um, so I think that's really cool too. And again, it's so different than newspapers, right? It's like the newspapers are are here and gone. And and when you write something that that is potentially floating around in classrooms for a decade or more. Uh, it's just a really neat change of pace for a guy like me. Okay. We close every episode with the segment that I like to call headliners. I'm going to read a headline. We'll talk about it briefly and see where it takes us. Our first headline comes from Sports Illustrated, and it asks a question. Just a minute. Could Jay Wright stepping down be part of a growing trend among coaches, instant reaction. I do, I think it's uh, it's probably related to uh, just all the the NIL stress that coaches are under right now. To you know, to it's not so much like oh we have to pay athletes now. I think it's more that when there's change, they're out of their comfort zone again, and when you're out of your comfort zone, it adds stress to your life. And I think coaches right now are just like, man, uh, this is stressful <laughs> because you feel <laughs> you feel like you're missing something, right? You feel like you're falling behind if you don't do it right. So, um, you know, he's 60 years old. Uh, he he was probably ready, but uh, I do think that that sort of the changes in college basketball um, have probably have probably made a lot of coaches think, should I get out now as opposed to five years from now it's going to open the doors for those people who are going to be comfortable with it and and they're going to thrive in that environment yeah and i don't think anybody knows what it's going to look like yet i mean it's it's in an ask forgiveness not permission stage and that's that's not a great place (laughs) to be dangerous ground yeah there's some some serious uh anarchy going on uh it'll get sorted out but i think it's going to be ugly here for a couple years all right headline number two comes to us from ketv Omaha spring cleanup. Here's where you can get rid of your junk. Are you a big spring cleanup guy? <laughs> no. No. If you come look at my garage, uh, you will see that I have several springs of junk in there. <laughs> so uh, it is, it, if there's ever a time to do it, spring feels like the best time, mm. but uh, it's much easier said than done. Well, I have a wife who is an organizational freak. <laughs> she's a she's project manager type. Okay. So. We have spring cleanup in the spring, summer, fall, and winter. Nice. That's not the worst thing in the world. No. All right, final headline today. Comes to us from the Washington Post, and you knew I had to go here. Washington commanders may have engaged in quote-unquote unlawful conduct, Congress tells FTC. I think unlawful conduct is 
a really nice synonym for illegal. Yes. Uh, I, there's not very many Washington football uh, fans in this market, in this city. Uh, I think we might have the, you know. We've about, got the corner we, on it. We've, yeah. we've got the corner on it. But I do feel like the last 20 years has sort of been this this experiment in how bad can it get, how incompetent slash unethical slash just, um, you know. Just slimy. Slimy. How slimy can it get before you don't feel any emotion for it anymore as a fan? And I'm not the fan that I was when I was 12 years old. There's no doubt. Nor am I. But – I get excited when they win. I sure. root for them. I am dying for them to find a quarterback. And, you know, I thought Taylor Heineke was the guy. And, I'll, you know, on and on. And it's like when all this other crap is going on, it's like, why are you – are you just testing my allegiance? <laughs> are you – is this a oh. psychological exam to see how far I can go? I've said so many times, like, I'm not going to have a favorite team anymore. Yeah. Because I can't switch to another team. I know. You can't. I'm just not going to have a favorite team anymore. I kind of got behind the Bengals. Uh, the last I mean, couple months of the season, like ninety percent of America kind of got behind. Right, the right. It, but it, but it didn't. It's different when you just pick it up. Like you can't. Sure, you my, have no. My history. older brother. I gave my older brother crap when we were kids because he was a fan of the 49ers, the Cowboys, and the Broncos. <laughs> it's like no, that doesn't work. Like you can't do that. No. Um, and so you know I can't just add a team. Uh, but without fantasy football, I, you know I don't know. And, and the red zone channel, the know. red zone channel, the red zone channel has people don't talk enough about the red. Zone no, channel. and there should be red zone channels for every sport at all times. All times. Uh, can agree. you imagine a college football red zone channel would be wild. Oh. Just bananas. They'd need three hosts for that. How has that not happened yet? So, um, no, it's, it's, these are tough days to be Washington, oh. a Washington football fan. And you know, the commanders thing, like, I was open to the new name. I was a proponent of getting rid of Redskins. As was I. For yep. obvious political reasons um, and just, you know, humane reasons. But I think it sounded better in theory than it has in practice. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just like, really? Like, I'm going to buy a T-shirt that says Commanders on it? I just, it sounds like something from a G.I. Joe movie. Well, so. my quote was that they used... The create a team feature yes. on NCAA football yes. and used the stock logo and the stock <laughs> name, but dropped the cool military logo and yes. just stuck a block letter in there. All right, that just about does it for episode three of the Pressman Podcast. Big thanks to Dirk Chatlin for stopping by. I'm John Schreiner. We'll see you in a couple of weeks for episode four.